0: In 1992, I came to the end of myself. There's a scripture in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 25:28 that says, uh, "A man who lacks self-control is like a city without with his walls are broken down." And when you lack self-control, um, you just open yourself up for the enemy just to come running in and do just ravage your city. And my city had been ravaged, and um, I cried out to the Lord and asked Him to come, and um, just show up and um, do the God thing um, that I kind of some little bit believed. I didn't even know if I believed. I just said, if you're real, I need you to show up because I've made a mess. I need you to show up in my life. I was tens of thousands of dollars in debt. I had no friends that I could ser- search after that were godly. And God gave me Philippians eight as my life verse, which is what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the unsurpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider it rubbish that I may gain Him. And that verse really helped me to make decisions about how to how to live those first few hours and days and weeks of walking this Christian walk. And um, this was in August of 92. And um, because I had to say, okay, does this draw me closer to Christ? Or does this draw me away from Christ? Because if it draws me away from Christ, regardless of what it is, it's rubbish. And I need to throw it away. If I if it's drawing me closer to Christ, then I need more of that. So I threw, I threw CDs away, we didn't say CDs and we threw cassettes away and we threw, we didn't throw 8-tracks away, they were already thrown away, but we threw, (laughs) I threw cassettes away, I threw VHS tapes, I threw um, gifts that I had received um, when I had been in inappropriate relationships from somebody else, I threw those things away, I threw photos away, I threw books away, um, anything that was associated with the past that I was walking away from and you know, the, the definition of repent is to make a, 300, a 180 degree back away from where you're going. So there should be, no, you leave everything back there. And so I was repenting of my life before, and I was leaving it all back there and throwing it away. And I remember throwing these things away, and I was thinking, Lord, what a waste. And he said, yeah, it is. And, yeah, it is. It's a waste. It is a waste. And, and just a little side note, you know, I, don't, I know a lot of you girls in here, and I'm honored, really honored. And I'm, Can't even go there. I think, or I wouldn't get through what I would say. But I'm really honored to be here tonight. Um, But some of you I don't know. But if you got, is there anything in your house you need to clean out? Is there any stuff you need to get rid of? Any things you need to throw away? And it's a waste. But it's better to count it as rubbish, that you can walk with a fuller relationship with Christ. I was doing. I was involved in Bible study seven days a week. I really had a heart to, to know the truth, but then also I was so lonely, I figured at least I'd go to Bible study, it would give me something to do, and there was one point that God, just, I was up here at um, Wyndham Parkway at an early morning appointment, heading, jumping on 400 at Mansell Road, heading up to Wyndham Parkway to go to appointment AT&T building up there, with uh, some sales at the time, and I feel like God got in the car with me, and this was all summer of 92, and he just really basically said, you know, hang with me, and we can, you can ride on my coattails, um, but I'm not putting up with this anymore. You know, it was, it was a pretty much a clear cut ultimate, ultimatum for me. Since that time, um, I have literally traveled the world on his dime. I have, I went to New Orleans in 93. I went to Russia twice in 94 and 95 from 96 to 98. I lived overseas. I've been to Ghana three different times. I went to Romania in 03. I went to El Salvador in 04. I've traveled the entire United States all on Jesus's dime. And, um, as missionaries doing different things, um, in different places, and I have ridden on his coattails, and now at this point he's taken me to, to, um, to Texas, to live in Houston, Texas, and I feel strongly, um, about that, that it's, we, we, we left thinking it was a two-year assignment, but I think it's going to be longer. If you get nothing else from tonight, please get this, ladies. Seek out older women in your life to influence you. Three of them are here that I'm about to mention, and, um, and it is a pursuit. Seek out older women, spiritually mature than you, to, to teach you how to walk in righteousness and truth. I didn't know Titus 2. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand anything about Titus 3 through 5, about older women teaching young women how to love their husbands and be homemakers and love their children, be chaste, be pure, you know, walk in righteousness, be sober-minded. Um, I just knew that I didn't know how I had was clueless about what I needed to do. And I met Sandra in October of 92, and I don't even know if it was even any kind of Formal relation—I don't even know how we even started the first time, but about once a month, I guess we started going to lunch. She would, she would—I'd meet her. I just, just let me be with you. I don't understand how to walk this Christian walk, and so Sandra taught me how to be a woman of God, and then God brought another woman in my life, Barbara Dare, and she taught me how to be a woman of the Word, to really have a love for the Word of God and to memorize it and things like that. Grace Anderson, that many of you know, she taught me how to be a woman of prayer, and to this day, Grace still prays for me. Um, I think on a daily basis. Uh, Joan taught me how to be a woman under submission. Um, Joan Queen taught me a lot about that. Um, Pat taught me how to be a princess. And um, Beth, I was at a conference about three years ago, and Beth Moore said, um, every woman needs to think that somebody thinks she's beautiful. And I pretty much agree with just about everything Beth says, but I disagree with that. I believe every woman needs to think that a man thinks she's beautiful. And I knew that Ron Riley thought I was beautiful. And, um, and so I was, I, mean, I was honored to live in their home, and I'm blessed by that. And then Carol Swift taught me how to be a woman of hospitality. She taught me how to be a woman of my home and to make it a warm and inviting place. Um, Linda Rogers has taught me how to be a woman of, of ministry, how to operate in ministry and how to, to do that. Um, Carol Lewis taught me how to be a woman of encouragement. That's a friend of mine out in Houston who you guys don't know. What do you need? What holes do you have in your womanness that you need fixed, that you need work on, that you need accountability on, that you need teaching on? Look inside yourself and say, okay, this, I'm weak in this area. I'm weak in my devotion to the Word. I'm weak in submitting. I'm weak in parenting. I'm weak in physical fitness. I'm, where am I weak? And then start looking for, praying and looking for women that could come into your life to help you do that. What, what we do as women is so important. The interesting thing at the end of Titus 2, 3 through 5, it says that if this is not done, the word of God will be blasphemed, discredited, and rebuked. Later on in that same chapter, the older men are told what to do to the younger men and how to teach them. There's no if associated with that. There's no, if you don't do this, this thing's going to happen. Because with women, it's so important. We, Those who rock the cradle rule the roost. And we influence future generations by what we do around a kitchen table. And we as women have that, whether we have children or not. I don't have any children. But I got 14 kids I pray for on a daily basis. I don't know, seven, eight, ten of them are represented here in this room right now. And they're my kids. And they're and. And I'm I am absolutely nice and sweet, and if they could say F-150, I'd probably buy them. I mean, I can't say that to Jess anymore because he can say F-150. So, but when I call, I'm, I mean, and I, I I say be obedient. I mean, that's what I be obedient, obey your parents. You want things to go well for you. One things I love to do when I would take the um, the Strickland kids, the two middle ones, with me to the circus, is I would. Um, They would ask just profound questions and get me in so much trouble. But because I tell them the truth, we talked about abortion. We talked about divorce. We talked about, I mean, because it would just come up and, you know, Becky, why do you live alone? Where's your daddy? You know, why don't you have a husband? And why aren't your daddy living with you here? And what do you do for a living? And, you know, I mean, they're five and seven and I'm five and six. There was four and five. I mean, they were young. Four and four, yeah, the way she, the way Tamara had babies, they were four and four. But one of the things I love to do is I love to say to them, I'd say, you know, guys, and we we're at, you know, McDonald's or wherever we were, you know, and i say, you know how we planned this day, and you know, I called your mommy, and we got the calendars out, and we looked down, and we said, this is a good day to go, and I'll come and pick you up at this time, and mama planned and figured out what you were going to wear, and We had a plan for the day, and I had a plan, and you didn't know all of it until you came with me. But we had a plan. I said, God's got a plan just like that for each one of you, and He is working that out right now. And we don't know what it's and they're and they're like, Well, what's the plan going to be? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Building destiny into your children, build destiny into our friends. What are you going to? What God's doing it for you, Laura? Isn't He? God's got great plans for us. He's working them. And we just need to be obedient to fall into place that he wants for us to go and walk and it will be profound what he will do for us. Our minds cannot imagine. What do you want above all else? What would you want God to do in your life above all else? Start acting like it's already happened. Start acting like it's already happened and we will fall into place, into that path need to walk and I believe God will start moving things into place. That 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 we want to happen, if it's righteous, will come about. Will come about. Seek after women. In July of 2004, through a process of a, a lot of um, prayer and counsel and crying and seeking and all that stuff, we knew for certain, and we being this collective body of people that it takes to raise me, <laughs> um, we all including my boss and I needed my I needed the blessing of Carol to move to Houston to take a job with Texas right to life we knew that I was supposed to go and it was probably one of the hardest decisions um, I ever had to make and um, I came and lived with the Rileys once more again um, to a week or so before I, I left and you know and they gave me a key to the house and I still have it on the key ring that I carry around with me because it's always like I can always come back home. Um, I mean, I'll never forget backing out that driveway and start heading down 85. And I, it was a Sunday morning I left, and I, it was probably 9 or so. Ron and Pat, you know, it was bad. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. And I um, had been good most of the time, but it wasn't pretty then. And I was driving down 85, and it was church time, so everybody was in church. So it was just me and Jesus till about, you know, Mobile. Um, as I was driving across the states. And, I mean, Jesus became real at that point in my life, and he comforted me and ministered to me in that time and listened to tapes, listened to praise and worship. But it was interesting. I think the word he gave me was, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, I knew that I was going to 3323 McHugh, number 631, Houston, Texas, 77056. And the Lord would do little things like that, like the area code was (laughs) 770-56. My phone number was, who's the old Lawrenceville girls? My phone number was 713-963-8921. So 963. And so little things like that that just kind of blessed me as I went out there. But it was absolutely 100% raw obedience. Um, From July to February, and Andrea can attest to this, it was, it was, I was miserable. I mean, probably anybody that knew me could attest to it. It was hard and I would call and cry and miss and what are you guys having for dinner? I mean, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, um, but I knew I couldn't come back. They wouldn't let me come back. They would not have allowed me to come back because we knew this is where I was supposed to be. This was what God's will is for me. And, you know, so often we think in the Christian life, once we come to know Christ, everything should be easy, right? And this obedience should just be perfect and wonderful and things should flow along. I mean, I tell Laura, Laura's story all the time about what happened when they were, she was finally obedient to stay home and raise her kids and then, her, you know, Brian loses his job. I mean, you know, how does that work? But now he's my hero. I mean, I tell, that's the story. When she gets to talk, she can tell that story. But she, he is my hero. Yeah, he's my hero because he did what princes and kings should do. Anybody not married in here? Anybody not married besides me? Tanya. Okay. Princes and kings. If he's not your prince, if he's not acting like your prince and your king, start treating him like a prince and a king. If he's not acting like your priest, start treating him like he's your priest. And guys are will just they'll fall in the line. They'll fall in <laughs> the line. From February. <laughs> from February to May, it was kind of getting a little better. You know, one thing, it was freezing over here, and it was 65 and 70 degrees in Houston, so that kind of helped a little bit. February it started getting better, but it was still just, I can't explain it other than just raw obedience. It was raw. But I was going to obey. I was going to continue to press onward because I knew it would be worse. I mean, who's ever been in a bad place, and you know that if you got up and went somewhere else, it's going to be worse. I knew it would be worse if I came back here. Not only would I be miserable, then I'd be disobedient and miserable. At least over there, I was just miserable. Beginning in May, um, any of you guys that sit underneath Linda Rogers' teachings know about the 31 Days of Praise. A great little prayer book that I really has impacted my life. Well, Day 17 is my favorite one, and I didn't bring it with me, but it says in there, um, you know, thank you, Lord, for the place I am right now. Even if I got here through the wrong choices, um, wrong choices, sins, or even rebellion, I know that you are going to work all this out for my good and for your glory. And it's about a page and a half. And it's, it's really a prayer of contentment. I was not content. I did not believe a word of that prayer. But I started praying it. Actually, I called Linda on, on May 17th. And I said, "I to, man, I needed day 17 today. And Linda said, you probably need to read day 17 every day for quite some time. So I started reading day 17 and 31 days of, pray, 31 days of prayer. And by about August, it was starting to kind of loosen up. And I was becoming more and more content. And God was beginning to reward my obedience. And I really believe that. He started blessing my obedience. A year ago, um, I was... um this was a, a Bible study I go to on Tuesday evening. And um, Jacob Jenkins had just been born. Um, Andre and um, Bodhi's fourth child. And the um, third one manifested. fourth one that um, they've conceived. And... Um, I had been here on Saturday, and Jacob was born on Sunday, and I had to go back. And um, on Tuesday evening, I remember going to the altar at the church and just, just weeping, grieving with the Lord over the fact that I was not there for the birth. And not mad, um, just grieving. And the Lord says, I, I understand your sacrifice. I understand what you're going through. Thank you. Thank you. He understood my pain. And that just was a little bit of a blessing. You know, he understood the level of my sacrifice. Um, So from June to August, it kind of weakened and it wasn't quite so monthly. And right now, actually, this is the first trip back. And I've been back, I don't know, 10 times, I guess. This is the first trip ever that I've been back in these 19, 20 months that I've been gone. That I was not just like on the edge of my seat with excitement all day long before I got on the plane. Because I was so excited about coming home. And I'm not saying I wasn't excited about coming home. I was glad. I was excited. I was looking forward to it. It's going to be great. But God had, I had become content in the place that I had been in and knew that it's exactly where I wanted to be and knew that it's exactly where the Lord wanted me to be above all else. And I'm looking forward to going back. I got friends back there. I got just great opportunities and blessings that the Lord's provided for me. One thing I just want to hit on and, um, you know, my besetting sin all my life has been gluttony that's been the stronghold and in january of this past year in, in '05, i said is this the only stronghold you can't deliver me from i mean is this the only thing you can't like do something miraculous in my life about you know and he's like well work with me here a little bit you know work with me let's cut down on a little bit of the carbs or get a little bit of the fat you know the Massey's Mediterranean Buffet is probably not something you need to be going to on a regular basis. Um, and um, this is, let me see if I can make it happen. This was, um, this was in November of 2004. There's only one person pregnant here. And then this was May and May of 2005. And... Um, I mean, the Lord has been so gracious to me. Because I, as I started crying out to Him and started seeking Him in what we're doing, He has set me free from the besetting sin of gluttony. And He brought tools into my life, and people into my life, and blessings into my life to help me walk this course out. And so, I mean, I mean, that was, I saw that, I'm like, good night. Well, this is what I would, tell, I, I would tell Andrea You let me walk around like this? <laughs> Don't you love me? You didn't tell me this was going on? Can we talk about the somebody help me here, you know, can you help a sister out, you know, (laughs) so, but then, but then this is, I mean, just five months later, six months later, um, God is so gracious, I haven't starved myself, it has been, I'm involved in first place, and I mean, I might talk about it a little bit, but, um, I remember I, I was on the, on the bike, and, and I said, um, and just by the way, I've only lost about, um, 40 pounds, but working out, well, I know, (laughs) working out is a big part of making a big difference. I just encourage someone not working out on the same thing, Um, and I I got it. Part of it was just enduring from May until August. I ate 1,400 calories and I lost like 8 pounds, 9 pounds, 1,400 calories a day and was working out a lot. I mean, what else did I have to do? I didn't have any friends. You don't anything else to do. I can't go to Massey's anymore, so I had to do something. So I just worked out, and I'd work out two or three times a day. I'm not doing, I haven't worked out since January, so I'm not quite there at that point where I used to be. But I, um, but in, in August, uh, end of August, first of September, I joined First Place, which is a Christ-centered weight loss management program, and it really brought balance because my problem is carbs. That was my problem. I mean, I, just, I can pass the sweets. I mean, give me another bowl of pasta. I don't want dessert. Just bring me another bowl of pasta. Carbs are my problem, so I'm an all-or-nothing girl. So I did, so I did nothing. So I didn't have any carbs, and I didn't lose weight. And my body's like, God's like, I created a balance here. There needs a balance here. Let's work on everything. And so I started doing carbs, adding carbs back into my diet. Still doing about a 1,400 calorie diet, and I lost the rest of that 35 pounds over the next three months. But one of the biggest things—these are the things that came to me. One, um, I remember working out and like looking in the mirror and you're on the exercise bike and the mirror's right here and like no makeup and, and, you know, why did I put the mirror right there? I'm thinking (laughs) the woman didn't design this, you know, (laughs) something's not right here or a size two and a half designed this. I'm like, what? I'm like, Lord, is this going to take forever? And he said, it took you 40 years to get like this. You think you can get done with it in 40 days? And that's really enduring. That's just enduring, girls. Where are you at? What you got? Where's your weakness? What's your spot? What's your besetting sin that you want to keep getting on the other side of? You know, if you've been doing it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, it's not going to happen in five days, five minutes. And sometimes you're just going to have to endure, endure obedience in the same direction for a long time and just endure to get on the other side of that. But the biggest thing it kept saying to me was, do I grieve because I'm a size 20 or because the temple that was created by the holy spirit was created by god for the holy spirit to dwell in was broken down and i was not a good representative of the abundant life god didn't care what size i was he cared about my heart and what was what i was breaking over and did i want to be a size 8 because i thought i'd be really cute or because the resident of this body was worthy of a healthy temple and that really becomes the key you know don't be submissive to your husband Because you want a new house. Don't, you know, raise your children in a godly manner so that you won't be shamed if they're rebellious. Because, my friends, they still might be rebellious. But if your heart's not right, then you've missed the whole point. What's your heart? Are you breaking over the things of God? And I'm going to talk about that later. Man does look on the outside, but God is the one that looks at the heart. How's your heart? And in your issues of this besetting sin and what your success looks like, where do you need to go? What do you need to work on? What do you need to be broken on? I remember I was, during all this time still, um, I was thinking about the, um, uh, actually it was when Julie and her mother came and stayed at my house is when it was. Julie came and visited me. There's some friends, my friends Julie and Miss B. came and visit me. And um, you got that, Catherine? Well, Catherine and George also came to visit me, too, and I really love that, too. So, um, <laughs> but Julie and Miss Peavy stayed at my house, and when they left, let me tell you girls, you want anybody to come to your house, have the Peavys come to your house? Because they not only strip the bed, which I've learned to do to strip the bed, they stink and wash the sheets, wash the towels, and put the sheets back on the bed. I'm like, talk about, I mean, I was told to leave a place better than I found it, but that's like way over the top. I mean, that's a little high standard. And so the Lord said, you know, you're, you're a guest here. This body that you live in is not mine. It's not mine. I was bought with a price. First Corinthians 6, 19 20. I was bought with a price. You know, my body is not mine. My body is his. And when I get through using this outer decaying body, am I going to leave it better than I found it? Or is it going to be worse than I found it? I want to be, able to good, I want to be a good house guest of this, of this home. So for me, success that I battle with is, and is is my way, and will it always be? It will always be. It will always be. I went to Waffle House, took my boys, had two dates today. It Was great. Took my boys to Waffle House. You know, when they're th- three and four, it's you know, they're a cheap date. So we went to Waffle House. It was still, I still spent eighteen bucks for just the two of us. And th- I mean, it was well, Blaine. I mean, you know, he just ate everything. So, and anything he wanted to order, I ordered, and so. <laughs> But, um, you know, I go to Waffle House, and I'm talking cheese and eggs, raisin toast, hash brown, scatter, smothered, covered well. I mean, that's, that's what I want. And I said, Jack Blaine, what do you want? He's like, cheese and eggs. You know, pictures, he orders by pictures. So point at cheese and eggs, we got cheese and eggs. And he went with grits instead of hash browns, which I was really glad. And I got two poached eggs on dry toast. Well, did I want two poached eggs on dry toast? Absolutely stinking not. I wanted hash brown, scatter, smothered, and covered with Tabasco sauce dribbled on it. I mean, I could drool over it right now, you know, but that is, it's going to be a process for me to go through. Am I going to, you know, am I going to fail? But also, I was going with sushi. I was going with Carol to have sushi for lunch. I knew that I'd probably be over the top on that. So I, you know, I was being wise. I balanced it out. That, so success is going to be ongoing. And that's the first question. I I hope it's on the handout. I don't know what was on your handout. Where do you need success in your life? Do you need your home life? Do you need your work life? Do you need your church life? That was all introduction, by the way. (laughs) Again, Ron Riley. I learned how to teach from Ron Riley. So. where do you need success in your life? Where do you need success in your life? Is it devotional life? Is it your wifeing? Is it your mothering? Is it your daughtering? I'm working, God's working on me in that daughtering. I'm honoring my mom, but now he he wants me to go another step. You know, I, I need success in those areas. And then what is that definition of success? What does it look like? And that's so important. That's not what we're going to decide today, but I would really encourage you girls, take some time. What does that look like? And then start going after that. And if you don't know what it looks like, like up in your mind, just start looking around and say, you know, I want a wow marriage. I want want my marriage to look like Ron and Pat Riley's marriage. I want a wow marriage. I want over the top. I want ministry of abundance. That's what I want. Start looking around and say, okay, those kids over there, and I talk about the Jones girls because I'm part of their family, too. That also happens when you do this. You know, you kind of get adopted by a lot of folks. So the Jones family, look at their and how they're raising their kids. And are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. But are they doing some of the things right? Yeah, they are. Okay, let's go look at them. Let's go. How are you doing it? And let me tell you, if you have even half an ounce of sense, you'll look at what they're doing and you'll figure out how to do it even better. Because that's just reality. That's just what happens because they've, they've made all the mistakes. So now you can turn around and you can take what they've learned and and make it better and then turn around and teach somebody else. What's that success? What does that look like? And then start pursuing it. Start going after it. We're going to be held accountable, my friends. This is not just, I mean, this isn't just it. You know, if we were lost and we didn't know Jesus, you know, then it would be a different story. But we're not lost. I hope nobody's lost in here. If you are lost, you can be found tonight. You've been found. You're here. If you don't know Jesus, then tonight is the night. But if you know Jesus, then we've got to start planning on success. And where do we need to go in the path we need to take them? I don't think it's on the thing, but um, sin, the Hebrew word for sin is chet. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. You're missing the mark. What it implies is it is, it, it is an intention to do the right thing. You know, you've missed the mark. You've, you want to do the right thing. You want to hit the mark, but you've missed the mark. Let me tell you what I think the greatest tragedy is. is not trying. It's not missing the mark. It's not the problem. We in America, I think we in the church, we just won't even try. Well, I just can't, you know, I just can't help it if my, you know, my boy's going to have sex before he gets married. I can't do anything about it. You know, fill in the blank. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm just a strong-willed woman and I can't submit to my husband. That's just the way it is. You know, well, I'm just tired. I can't get up in the morning. I got so much to do. I mean, try. Now, let me give you, we have our, we have a, whoops. That's not exactly. We have some arrows in our life. You know, this is a lot of, obviously, archery, because I got the archery here. We're going to start pulling things from our quiver, and our, arrow, our quivers are full of arrows that we need access. Number one is the Holy Spirit. Number one IS THE HOLY SPIRIT THAT LIVES INSIDE OF US. LINDA'S CLICKER IS ON THE OTHER SIDE. ROMANS 8, 9 SAYS THIS, HOWEVER, YOU ARE NOT IN THE FLESH, BUT IN THE SPIRIT. IF IN THIS DEED THE SPIRIT OF GOD DWELLS IN YOU, BUT IF ANYONE DOES NOT HAVE THE SPIRIT OF CHRIST, HE DOES NOT BELONG TO HIM. IF, this, if, if JESUS CHRIST IS YOUR LORD AND SAVIOR, YOU'VE COME TO THAT POINT IN YOUR LIFE WHERE YOU SAID, I ACCEPT YOU, I BELIEVE YOU, I BELIEVE YOU DIED ON THE CROSS FOR MY SINS, AND I NEED YOUR SALVATION. YOU'VE ACCEPTED THAT SALVATION, Immediately upon salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside you. And he lives. Now then we do a lot of things to quench him and resist him and, you know, push him down. Cause him to just go Step Fine, go hurt some more. That's what he does. He goes over in the corner and says, fine, I could give you the power to overcome that. I am the power to overcome that. But you don't want it I'm just going to go stand over there. We can do that. But he immediately comes inside of us. That's a, that, is, that is an arrow that we can pull out of our quiver and shoot at the mark and use. I'm not saying manipulate. and that's not being blasphemy, but just be aware, I can do this. I mean, doesn't that kind of make you feel a little better to think that the Holy Spirit, the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. What is more difficult than raising Jesus from the dead? You got something in your life bigger than that? Well, God's still able to take care of it. He's still able to take care of it. He lives inside you. You can do that. The next thing is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 is the reference that I love on this one. For the word of God is a living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrows. And then right here, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is able... That's why we don't like it sometimes. You know? You know, when someone reads it and you start, ooh, it knows my thoughts and my intentions. It it kind of pierces us. My prayer is that when I go to church every day, I want to come out with little prick marks all over me. Because if I don't come out with little prick marks, the Word of God hasn't been brought forth. Just a couple of Sundays back, I was in Sunday school um, in the morning. Again, I I go to church a lot, but... So I go to church Sunday morning, the Sunday school class. Tammy had, is my teacher in there. And Tammy taught about being giving grace, grace people. And I'm not a grace giver. That's a weakness in my life. Julie's like, yeah, you're right, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> amen. She's like, amen to that now. I'm not a grace giver, and I know that's a weakness, and I desire to grace people more, to not, to, as, I mean as, to speak things in love. I want to give grace. And so, whew, okay, that that stuck me. And then I, um, that evening I go back and I'm able to attend another Bible study under Beth Moore. And Beth was teaching on Romans, in Romans 9. And it talks about the Israelite, about Paul unceasingly anguishing over the lostness of his Israelite brothers. And Beth said, what are you unceasingly anguishing over? And I don't have anything I'm unceasingly anguishing over. And I can say, well, praise the Lord. I don't have anything. I'm unceasingly anguishing over. But you know what? I have things that I need to be unceasingly anguishing over in prayer. My brother is thinking about leaving his wife and having a, and divorcing her and leaving their 10-year-old daughter. I mean, hello, light bulb. Maybe I should be unceasingly anguishing over this in prayer. You know, my relationship with my mother, my relationship with my, father, my, my dad. Unceasingly anguishing. If you don't have anything personally on you, just look at the injustice in the world. How about being unceasingly anguishing over the unborn? How about unceasingly anguishing over, you know, the pervasity of pornography? How about unceasingly anguishing over the sexual perversion that is just bone in our face day in and day out whether we want it or not? We need to be unceasingly anguishing. Oh, so I got another prick. Well, then I go to preaching and pastor preaches on over in Colossians about not being sarcastic and slanderous in our talk. You know, if you have to say, well, I'm just kidding, you probably shouldn't have said it. (laughs) And by the way, Jared says it all the time. (laughs) Another thing to be unceasingly anguishing over. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's like, because the word of God was brought forth. And I know at Hebrew Baptist and in you alls different Sunday school class, the word of God is being brought forth. But if it's not somewhere, then you just pack it up and move on. Go somewhere else where it's being brought forth. And if you're not being pricked, then it, there's two things happening. Either the word of God is not being brought forth or you're hardening your heart. You're hardening your, your heart. And that is a bad place to be because he will break that heart if you're, if you're a child of his. He'll break it. And it will be painful. And it will hurt. So, the word of God. The other thing we have as a quiver is our faith. You know, it's believing God not just believing in God. Believe God for what he has. Romans 4, 6 and 7. 16 and 7. I mean, girls, do we believe this? I mean, you don't have to answer this, but really, do you really believe this, every word in it? So I'm just going to believe it. I'm not smart enough to not believe it, to figure out how to do it, so I'd rather just believe it and walk in it. John, or Romans 4, um, 16 and 17, is that what I said? For this it is by faith, in order that it may be accordance with grace, that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Praise the Lord, that's us. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. Here's the key. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Okay. You got something that needs to exist that doesn't exist right now? Whatever that is, you got something that needs to exist that doesn't exist right now? Ask God to call it into being. You know, I don't believe that we have the power. It doesn't say we have the power to speak things in and have them be. It says that God has the power to speak things in that don't exist and make them real, to raise people from the dead. He has that power and that's the faith. All we've got to do is believe God that He could do that. Believe God and move forward in that. And then finally, um, not finally, there's two more, prayer. Prayer is difficult because prayer shows our powerlessness. Prayer is difficult because it demonstrates our powerlessness to do anything besides cry out to God. And I want to be a woman that it's not the last thing I do is pray. I want to be the woman that's the first thing I want to do is pray. Let's call it to God and pray. And then finally, friends, that's another arrow we have that we can pull out that we can access. But let me warn you guys, especially us girls, Go to the throne before you go to the phone. (laughs) Okay? Go to the throne before you go to the phone. Go to prayer before you start calling your friends and getting their advice. Now, he might free you up to allow you to do that. You know, we need to be, we need to watch those ancient boundaries. You know? We need to watch those, I mean, Sandra could probably tell scary stories about how just boundaries have gotten blurred and we start getting too emotionally involved and attached in other people's lives. You know, we need to... Is, if there's anybody in your life that you feel like you need to call and check on to see how you're doing that day, you probably need to quit calling them for a while. You know? Oh, if I haven't talked to so-and-so today, I mean, am i am okay? Are you anxious over that? Just free advice. With practice, you're going to get better. We've got to practice these things. You've got to keep pulling those things out of your quiver. You've got to practice them. Two references and, um, that I think are great, especially um, the Joshua 3.5 that I want to talk about just for a second. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow Jehovah will do wonders among you. It, how many people have not sanctified themselves today? How many people have sanctified themselves one day and did not see God do amazing things? after that you know if we say if we take that step and we start practicing the sanctification this consecration this holiness setting ourselves apart you guys know I, I mean most of you guys probably have been in church long enough you know what it means to be sanctified you know what it means to be consecrated you know what holiness looks like Do you know if a pastor came to your house and started looking through your stuff you'd be embarrassed if he was looking through that stuff I'm assuming nobody in there has any of that problem here but are you sanctified are you set apart is your mind set apart is your body set apart you're doing things. Set apart yourself. And then God's going to do wonders the next day. Now, you remember, God's calendar is not our calendar. And the next day might not mean 24 hours. But he will do great things. In this case, Joshua did. He did do something the next day. And why don't we live with that expectation of, I'm going to set myself apart for him. You know, the, it, we are the priests of the believers today. And in the Levite, the Levites, in Old Testament times, when they would minister before the Lord they would wear a turban on their head and across it it says, Holy to the Lord. What if we walked into Kroger and we just had tattooed across our forehead, Holy to the Lord. Would you act a little different sometimes? Would you buy different things? Would you say different ways? I don't have a fish sticker on my car. You know why? You have never seen my drive if you have to ask why. <laughs> Holy to the Lord. And start living our lives As if we've got this tattooed across our head and the wonders the Lord are going to perform will be amazing. And live in that life of expectancy. What amazing things are you going to do today? What amazing things are you going to do today? And it's not always going to be pretty, but it's always going to be good. Hey, Aslan, Aslan's on the move. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. Set goals. Set goals. You know, the story is the barn, the boy in the barn wall. You know, this, this, this is a, a great archman, archery man was riding through a town and stopped to spend the night and he went into a barn to take care of his horse and he saw on the wall all of these arrows, dead center of these targets that had been painted on the wall. I mean, dead center. And he's like, who, who did this? And he had to go around and go, who did this? You know, and they're like, I'm not sure. The townspeople didn't know. And finally they found out it was this little boy. He said, well, I shot those arrows. He said, well, son, come and let me see your skills. This is amazing. How in the world did you always get one arrow perfect dead on there? And so he takes him in the barn. He pulls out his, his arrow. He, I mean, he pulls out his bow. He pulls out an arrow out of his quiver. He lines up. He shoots the wall. He takes the paint. He goes, he draws the target around the bank, <laughs> around the arrow. You say, girls, this is what we do. We don't look preacher vision. And we end up where we are. And we say, well, that's what I wanted to get up to. Set some goals. What is it? For me, for me, it's the way my driver's license. I love it. In Texas, you don't put your weight on your driver's license. But I do have to put my weight. I mean, I know what my weight used to be on it. That's a goal for me. That's a goal for me. You know? Is it carnal? Is it temporal? Maybe. But for me, because it's my besetting sin, is It's my idol. I get comfort from something other than Jesus Christ. So funny to work on. Nehemiah 2. I won't go there, but if you want to know how to set goals, read Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah 1 is all about the, recognizing the tragedy of what has happened. And his brother's walls have been falling down and the temple's wide open. The city's not taken care of. And then he fasts and he prays. And then the minute the king asks him, What's going on? Your countenance is down. He lays out the plan. Boom, 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 boom. That's what we need to do, set goals and work toward those things. I mentioned this just earlier, but God does look at the heart, but man does look at the outside. God looks at the heart, but man does look at the outside. And I really, um, in the in the life that I, in the, in the work that I do, on Tuesday I was at a panel discussion, and I had to my right a woman who was working for, is an investigator for um, a ministry called, or not a ministry, but an organization called Grace, which is, you'd think it's funny that it's not a ministry, but Grace something. And they provide legal aid to death row inmates to try and get them off of death row. To this side of me was the legal director for the NAACP for Houston. And then in this fourth chair was the ACLU Houston director, and then there's me. <laughs> and I was not feeling. This is Tuesday after that. I mean, it was not, I was not feeling like much grace. But I had holy to the Lord across my head. I knew I needed to be gracious. But you know, I, and I'm not. Please hear my heart on this. I had a good looking suit on. I had my lips on. I had my my mascara on. I was gracious. You know. I crossed my legs. I was kind. These women look hard. They look bitter. They look mad. And we as believers, I'm not saying you need to put makeup on. You always need to wear a dress. I'm, that's not it. But, you know, if the paint needs, if the barn needs a little paint, we need to put a little paint on it. You know, I mean, look at the way God created the, the let's look at it out there. You know, have you noticed in the animal kingdom, all the males are gorgeous? The peacock, it's the male that's got all the feathers. And it's gorgeous. But we, but the girls, they're not the ones that are gorgeous. And I'm just saying, we need to understand that man does look on the outside. Is it right or wrong? It's not the point. If we want to make a difference in our kingdom, if we want to make a difference and be relevant in our culture today, man does look on the outside. God looks on the heart, but man does look on the outside. And that's not mean that you need to... You guys hearing me? Are you understanding? You hear my heart on this. Please look at my heart, you know, on the outside. Because I've worked on the outside, so it's a little easier to see my heart. There's a, um, there's a woman involved in first place. Sorry, Jesus. There's a woman involved in first place and um, she weighs 300 pounds. She's lost 1,200 pounds. And, I mean, like she couldn't get out of the house. I mean, talk about some enabling, codependency and all those things, but that's another story. But man will look on the outside of that woman and say, phew, she's not successful. But God looks at the heart. So that's for the balance. I just want to encourage you, encourage you on that. As, as women, we need to do that. There's one constant denominator in success. Inconvenience. I mean, we wish it was something different, don't we? We wish it was like, go pay for it and you get it. Inconvenience. I don't know if I spelled it right, but inconvenience. David, a man that was after God's own heart, it cost him a lot. It cost him a lot. Paul. Paul, it cost him a lot. Shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments. It cost him a lot to be successful. I'm going to read just a few here just to kind of... Let's see how we're doing on our own personal inconvenience and our conveniences. It's inconvenient to teach your child how to tie their shoes. It's convenient to provide them with (laughs) (laughs) slip-ons. It's inconvenient to be forgiving when someone has hurt you. It's convenient to hold a grudge. It's inconvenient to be loving when someone has acted inappropriately. It's convenient to be angry. I'm stepping on my own toes on that one. It's inconvenient to ask for help. It's convenient to use guilt. It's inconvenient to accept 100% responsibility for your behavior. We're all adults in here. The only victims are children. It's convenient to blame someone else. It's inconvenient to sacrifice and enforce self-discipline. Read, exercise, quiet time. It's convenient to be lazy. It's inconvenient to swallow your pride. It's convenient to be stubborn. It's inconvenient to do the right thing. It's convenient to be selfish. It's inconvenient to be patient with a child who's crying at 3 a.m. It's convenient to be upset. It's inconvenient to tell people what they need to hear. It's convenient to tell them what they want to hear. That's not a friend. It's inconvenient to put other people to read husband, children, whatever's appropriate, needs first. It's convenient to focus only on our personal needs and wants. You know, I think the thing that's so important in that is that our flesh never gets better. You know, I wish our flesh got better. Our flesh never gets better. We get more filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can die to the flesh and walk in the Spirit. But this flesh never gets any better. And I I mean, this is is the truth. You know, I miss quiet time once, God knows. I miss it twice, I know. I miss it three times, everybody else knows. So it might not be that extreme, but that's pretty much it is. I am 21 good days, 21 bad days away from being right back in the same pit that I was 14 years ago. I know that because my flesh is so strong and your flesh is so strong. Your flesh is so strong. You will fight and fight and fight. So how do we improve it? How do we get our accuracy? Now that we're saying we're going to to pull our arrows out of the quiver and we're going to at least aim for the mark. How do we improve our accuracy? Number one, we're going to anchor well. We're going to anchor well. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 says this. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Therefore, every, this is Jesus speaking. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act to them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Where's your foundation? Are you trusting in anything else? Are you building your life on anything else rather than Jesus Christ? If your foundation is not Jesus Christ, then it's seeking sand. It will fall. It will fall. The next thing is we're going to get strong by getting weak. We're going to get strong by getting weak. 1 Corinthians twelve nine. It's Paul talking about the thorn in the flesh, and I, I just—this was a word that came to me just recently when I was praying on the phone with someone. That I want to share with you, but let me read this out to you. First Corinthians twelve nine says. Maybe it's not First Corinthians twelve nine. Hmm. You hate it when this happens. Maybe it's chapter seven. But Paul says. Yeah, 12, it's Second Corinthians. My grace is sufficient. Jesus is, Paul has cried out, you know, three times for this flesh, this weakness to be removed from, and he doesn't ever remove it. The Father doesn't remove it. He says this, and he, Jesus says to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, this is what, what does that look like in our lives? For, for a friend of mine who, sugar is her problem. Carbs are my problem, sugar is her problem. I mean, she could eat a creamy dessert, and it's going to put her on a, a spin for days, weeks, months, where she's just going to eat more than she should, and getting back on is so hard. So she just, she really has to eliminate any refined sugar from her life. And so it was Valentine's Day, and it, where she works, the, the head of the organization, you know, always does something really special for everybody in the office on Valentine's Day. And she's driving into work. I'm on the phone with her. We're kind of talking through this thing, and she's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I said, let us do as Paul says right here, and that we are going to boldly, we're going to boast in it. We're going to rejoice in our weaknesses. And so when you walk in and you see the spread of cheesecake and chocolate cake and cookies and all that stuff and say, Lord, how exciting. Here's an opportunity for you to be strong in my life because I am weak. Now, don't, you know, if you have a problem with alcohol, don't like walking in the liquor store and say, here is an opportunity to do this for you <laughs> on the to show yourself. <laughs> You know, if you have a problem with the seducing spirit, you know, don't be in a room alone with a man. Okay, don't, you know, hear me out on here. Let's be wise, girls. But in those situations, when they, whatever that might be, and your weakness is going to just be absolutely laid bare because of what's going on, rejoice and say, rejoice. I mean, don't you just think if you were Satan? Don't think as if you were Satan. But imagine what Satan's thinking. If he's like, okay, here's the setup. It's Valentine's Day. I'm going to get her. I mean, here's the setup. It's going to be perfect. She's going to fall off track. She's going to get depressed. She's going to be blah, blah, blah. And you walk in and say, praise the Lord. Here's an opportunity for God to show himself mighty on my behalf so we can get strong in our weaknesses through that process. So I I just want you to know that I found this. I was just doing an internet search, and I just, like, typed in archery and improving (coughs) archery, and these were the points that came up. I mean, this is really how you improve your accuracy if you're an archer. So, develop a good grip. You've got to develop a good grip. And the, the, the best grip we have in the world is prayer. You know, First Thessalonians says to pray without ceasing. Philippians 4 and 6 says that we need to um, uh, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, of prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. We've got to pray. Girls, we've got to pray. I... I I can't emphasize it enough. If it's difficult for you to pray, write them out. If it's difficult for you to write them out, buy prayer books and read them. Read it out loud. We've got to pray. And I would also encourage you, and I've got two, I've got actually two different groups of people that I do this with. I pray, and there's actually a third girl that I'm going to add on to this and a third group that I'm going to pray with. We pray on a regular basis. Some of us, that looks like once a week. Some of us, it's once a day that we pray on a regular basis. And I am pray. And it's like it's not through the phone, so hey, how you doing? How was dinner? Good okay, you know, and you get it an hour into the conversation, it's like, oh, let's pray. Well, thank you, Jesus, for the day. amen. So it's figure the phone and say you know it's them at seven thirty, they always call it seven thirty after the kids get out of the house. Figure the phone. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We pray for our kids right now. And just go right into it. You don't have to write the list down and stuff, but find somebody else that you can pray with on a regular basis. And it might be once a day, it might be once a week, it might be once a month, it might be once a quarter. Pray with them on a regular basis. I am the person I am today because Sandra Jones prayed with me on a regular basis. It wasn't me. It was her prayers and her faith. And I totally believe that. Get somebody and pray. And you will develop a strong grip. And it just becomes natural. Establish a routine. Establish a routine. This is what it looks like when I have my quiet time. This is what it looks like when I work out. This is what it looks like when I'm acting submissive to my husband. You know, this is what it looks like and make it a daily act of the will to work it out. Because then we don't have to think about it. That's why I love. I love that instruction that Linda gave about reading the Psalms and the Proverbs. You don't have to get up in the morning and think, what am I going to read today? What page am I on? I mean, if you can just kind of get a, enough of the fog cleared once you drink a couple of cups of coffee or something and say, okay, it's the 23rd. So what am I reading today? The 23rd, the 53rd, the 83rd, the 113th, and the 143rd Psalm in Proverbs 23. I mean, that's... I've done it enough, beat it in my head enough. That's what that's what I'm doing and that's what you know to do. Whatever your routine is. I'm going to read a chapter a day, and I'm going to begin in John. I'm going to read a chapter a day. Whatever it is, begin that routine and start ra- making a routine and it will make a difference in your life. <laughs> We've got to aim right. Hebrews 12, 2. I'm going to start on one. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that sets before us. Just FYI, I ran a half marathon. And so I thought of that scripture a whole lot while I was running the marathon. I walked it, but anyway. Yeah. Fixing our eyes. Hey, you know my thing, I, I walked three hours and 45 minutes. Some people ran two hours and 15 minutes. I think I was out there like an hour and a half longer. I mean, I think that I should be finishing higher. It should. My score shouldn't be lower. I was on my feet for almost four hours. <laughs> they, had, they had, no, they did not think that was what I needed to do. They were had no sympathy on that. First day, back to being serious here. Fi- verse 2, Fixed in our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus set his aim. Jesus was aiming right. He was on the cross, enduring greatest suffering that we can possibly imagine. And how did he hang on there? He was looking for the joy set before him, which was, you and you and you and you and me. Every one of us, the joy that was set before him was us, us in salvation. Him looking forward and looking in, you know, February of 2006. And say, I'm going to hang on here because I want my girls to be here. So what are you setting your aim on? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Aim to Jesus. Aim right. Aim right. And finally, hold your aim. Hold your aim. That's endurance. James 1, 4. Endure. The very definition of endurance means a long time. <laughs> endure. What are you willing to endure over? What are you willing to endure over? And are you willing to do it for a day, a week, a month, a year, two years, four years, five years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years? Are you willing to do it? Endure on and see what happens on the other side. Hold your hand. A couple of ending points here. We've got to check our attitude. As I said before, we're filled with the Holy Spirit the minute we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But what are we doing with their attitude? If we say, I will not do that, whatever that is. You guys got your own that. We could spend all night talking about our own that. I will not do that. I will not get up and have a quiet time. I will not discipline my children so they'll be godly. I will not submit to my husband so that he'll be honored at the city gates. I will not be willing to quit my job and move into a smaller home so my kids aren't taken care of in daycare. I'm not willing to do that because my car or my clothes or eating out is more important. I'm not preaching. Laura Wynn can preach that. I will not do that. You are resisting the God of the universe who flung the stars into the sky and you're saying, I will not do that. And when you say, I will not do that, don't think anything else in your life is going to work. Don't come to them and say, I mean, imagine if your child came to you and said, Mama, I'm not going to do that. And they come to you two hours later and say, what's for dinner, honey? You think Laura's going to be all excited about dumping out dinner for her? No. You think the God of the universe is going to operate any different? We... He's got plenty of grace, but he's also merciful, and he's judging. And he's only going to bless his children who will bless him back. I don't like what you are doing. You're grieving him. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong. Trust me, I said that a few times when I was in Houston. I didn't like what he he was doing. But really, you know what it got down to, and this is the difference. I didn't like how he was doing it. Because what he was doing was refining me and making me more and more like Christ. And any of these girls who have seen me, am I, different than, am I different today than I was 19 months ago? Has there been a greater change in me in the past 19 months than you've ever seen in the past 12 years that you've known me? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes. I did not like how he was doing it, but I loved what he was doing. I loved what he was doing. And then finally, I won't do that any longer. He put out his fire. And that's endurance. I won't do that any longer. I have done this. For a week a year five years I won't do this any longer guys hang in there hang in there are we willing to do it for 50 years I mean this is a blimp I mean this is just like beep, that's it for compared to eternity and a thousand year reign if nothing else a thousand year reign to reign with Jesus Christ himself and I want my 10 cities and I want somebody else's ten cities. I want to rain. I want lots. And so I have to do whatever. For me, it's submitting to my boss. You can talk to Carol. I have an issue with that. You know, I'm always right. Right, Stacy? Not everybody agrees with that, though. But I'm sure in the end, it's going to work out. I was right. But am I willing to bow my knee and understand the umbrella and protection of submission? Because when I'm not doing that with my bosses, then he's not going to bless me anywhere else. Because my level of submission to my boss is in direct correlation to my level of submission to the Lord. The process. The process. Girls, we're going to bungle it. We're, going to mess, we're probably going to mess up walking out of here. I bungled it. I bungled it. I'm going to bungle it. And I'm going to bungle it again. Formula 409. Do you know why Formula 409 is called Formula 409? 409 times before they got it right. 409 times. Who's done anything 409 times? Who has endured long enough to do something 409? If I do it four times and I can't get it, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm like, can't we buy it? I mean, you know, we're going to bungle it. But begin again. Don't be a kamikaze and just do a suicide mission here. Begin again. And, you know, girls, I have no idea what's going on in in y'all's hearts in here. Because I judge on the outside. I can't judge your hearts. And y'all look pretty and great and you've all got a of Christ and you look like you know what you're doing. But I know in your hearts, some of you guys are going through really difficult and impossible times. And I can, I, I'm going to, she wouldn't want me to, but I'm going to pick on Julie just for a moment. Only because I had the privilege for an hour only to sit next to Anna Grace and worship in the last year of her life. And seeing her labor for one more breath to endure to press on, to continue going forward. And I think about Julie and Jim and their family and the whole crew to to watch and endure and do it well and to finish well. And so sometimes it might be looking at your watch and say, I'm just going to endure this for another hour or another minute or another 30 seconds. Back in 92, I did not want to live and I would say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for another five seconds, Lord, and then that's it. But it's not better on that. And then five would go, and then would be ten, 15, and it'd be fifteen. You know, the commercial would change, or, you know, something would happen, and I'd get to the other side. Just look at your watch and say, I'm going to endure for just a little, bit, a little bit longer. Just hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The, are the promises yes and amen, or are they true? And if we're walking in righteousness, and even though it doesn't look like it's going to come out in the end, we know it's not going to come out in the end the way it's supposed to be if we quit. Right? But if we endure, it's going to come out right in the end. It's going to come out right in the end. It will. It always will. So begin again. And then bear up. Bear up. Surrender and let God be strong in your life. Bear up with Him. Be strong in my life. 2 Corinthians 16, 9, it's one of my favorite scriptures. The Lord God of the universe looked over to and fro over the earth to find a heart who was turned toward Him, a blameless heart, so that He could show Himself mighty on that person's behalf. So I want Him, when He's looking over the earth, He used to look at 320 Church Street and I wanted to see a heart Turn to him. Now he's looking at 3323 3, 3, McHugh, number 631, 77056. <laughs> I want him to see a heart. Turn to him because I, I want it to be blameless. That mean, doesn't mean perfect. It just means that there's nobody out there in the world that come to me and say, You did me wrong and you didn't get it right. That's what blameless means. You did me wrong and you didn't make it right. I don't want anybody out there to be able to say that. It's because I want him to show himself mighty on my behalf. Mighty on my behalf. Let me close with a story. It's about Ben-Hur. I'm going to close with two stories because I still got time. (laughs) During the 1960 filming epic of Ben-Hur, Charleston Heston really struggled to learn how to drive the chariot. I mean, it was really hard. But practice, 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 practice. Finally, it was the day of the filming, the big race, you know. I don't remember seeing Ben-Hur, but it was a big race. And Ben, I mean... uh, Charlton Hessen went to um, Cecil B. Mills, who was doing that with the producer and the director of the show, and he went up to him and said, Okay, I think I can drive the chariot, but I don't think I can win the race. And it was pretty important for Ben Hur to win the race, kind of like the whole point of the movie. And Charlton said, You just drive the chariot. I'll make sure you win the race. And girls, isn't that what the Lord is doing for us? Just get in the chariot and just start driving. And God will make sure we win the race. God will make sure we'll be successful. But if we never get in, if we're never obedient, we're never going to be successful. We're never going to win the race. God has blessed my raw obedience in Houston. And I have had unbelievable opportunities and ministry both to and from in my life in that time there. But one that's probably the top of the pinnacle right now is Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening I was, um, uh, I'm in the middle of making some really major decisions. feel like the Lord's speaking to me directly about doing something. Was in the process of working through that, and that afternoon was just kind of despondent about it. Not at peace, kind of anxious. And Beth Moore teaches a Bible study on Tuesday evening about, I don't know, 1,800, 2,000 women there, and Julie's been there with me. And Julie probably even saw this. You could testify to that. I really didn't even want to go. I was tired. I'd been blowing and going for, you know, a week. I know, isn't that funny that you would like Beth more alive, like you wouldn't go? <laughs> but when you, I I just get it. I, I didn't, and I was thinking, Lord, what do you want to do? Because it's not a person I want to worship. It's not somebody I want to put on a pedestal, and I don't worship her. I want you, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he really spoke to me about going, go and be, go to the altar, and, because um, I love to go to the altar, I love to, when I'm going through stuff and working through issues, I like to just lay it down before him, and I'm demonstrative, and I want to do that, and so we were during worship time, I felt the, the, the need to do that, and um, went to the altar, and was not down there three seconds, and Beth came up beside me, and kneeled down beside me, and put her arms around me, She said, and we have had communications and contact. I mean, it just, God has been faithful to allow me. I mean, she doesn't know my name. It's not like we go to lunch. So, I mean, you know, it's not that. But we have had, we have often have interaction. And um, she sat down beside me, put her arms around me and started praying over me. She said, you pray for me all the time, sister. Let me pray for you. And um, began praying for me. And um, she said, she started praying a comforting word over me. And um, I didn't need comforting. I was anxious. I was not at peace. And all of a sudden she said, no, it's a reassuring word. I need to pray out for you. Believe what God has told you and walk in that foundation. And I would not have had that experience with Beth, with God through Beth, if I hadn't had the raw obedience to be faithful. And I believe that I wouldn't be where I am spiritually if I wouldn't have gone through the raw obedience of going and living in Houston. And now, I mean, it's really, right now, the decision I'm making, we've always joked that I was, it's like when I was a missionary, it was two years, and my time in Texas was two years. And um, but God's calling me to something bigger than that, and I'm probably, in this process, will have to say I'll be here for five to ten years. And that grieves me, because my boys are playing ball. I, my kids are doing things. I'm not taking them to the circus. I'm going to miss out on that. But, I'm, but I also know God's going to be faithful to that. And those friendships and those relationships and those establishments, they're still there and they're still secure. And now when they get older, we can talk on the phone and not just have them that conversation. But I'm willing to do that all because I want to, be, I want to finish well, girl. I want a well done. I want my Lord to be pleased. I want to feel his pleasure when I get to heaven. And from day to day, I want to feel his breath on my cheeks. You want to live like that? Start pulling the arrows out of the quiver. and Start walking that pathway of righteousness. and Start looking to where you want to be. and Start acting like you're already there. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for life and life abundantly. We thank you for your work. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move in hearts tonight, right now, Father. Lord, I got stuff I need to work on. I got quivers that I don't mess with sometimes i got areas of failure that I just, I don't bear up. I don't begin again. I've blown it, and I'm not going to try it again. I'm resisting you, and I'm grieving you. Lord, I submitted to this sin, and I ask you just to help me walk in that. Lord, I pray that we will leave different women, committed women, to do things greater and mightier and unbelievable, more than we could possibly ask or imagine for your glory and ultimately for our goodness. I love Pat, I love Sandra, I love Carol. I thank you for their investment in my life. May I be a good steward of their investment in my life, and may we all go out and multiply the teaching that we've been given. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So.